Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Everybody and welcome to today's program. Tony Richards here, and my guest today will be Stephen Gaffney. And not only is Stephen knowledgeable about organizational teams and development, but he's a really funny dude and a great guy. So my interview and interaction with Stephen Gaffney is coming up here in just a minute. I'm also going to focus today on three big ideas from my vault of wisdom to share with you at the end of today's show. And you don't want to miss these three things I've learned and my brief background and experience with them. Today's program is sponsored by University Subaru. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. My visit with Stephen Gaffney is next here on Better Than Before on the C-Suite Radio Network. There's nothing quite like the love of a good dog. At University Subaru, it seems to us they're all good. See special pet-friendly features in the new 2021 Subaru Outback and Forester. It's never been easier to hit the open road with your best friend and to keep them safe with Subaru all-wheel drive. Subaru is dog-tested and dog-approved. Love, it's what makes a Subaru a Subaru and a dog a dog. University Subaru, Columbia, homegrown and proud of it. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Better than before. This is Tony Richards, and I'm excited to welcome Stephen Gaffney to our program today. He's a leading expert on increasing business profit through change management, honest communication, and high-performing teams. He's an author, a speaker, and trusted advisor. Stephen works directly with top leaders from Fortune 500 companies like Amazon, Marriott, Allstate Insurance, even the U.S. government and the military. He's authored four groundbreaking books, Just Be Honest, Authentic Communication Strategies That Get Results and Last a Lifetime, Honesty Works, Real-World Solutions to Common Problems at Work and Home, 
be a change champion and co-author of Honesty Sells, How to Make More Money and Increase Business Profits. He's currently working on two additional books, Reboot, How to Create and Sustain High-Performing Teams, and The Nine Pillars of Sustainable, Profitable Business Growth. His newest offering, Unconditional Power, will be made available this month. And so we're really looking forward to his time here with us today. His clients have included everybody from Amazon to Johns Hopkins University. He's worked with a ton of people. And uh, I'm so glad that you've made time to be here with us today, Stephen. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Tony. You bet. So, my gosh, you've been busy with that bio. (laughs) (laughs) Although I got to tell you, the Unconditional Power book, it was supposed to be out this month, but it's going to be delayed a few months. But yeah, we've been real busy and all good stuff because when it comes down to team and culture and stuff like that, there are hot topics that are important to move the organization. Yeah, we'll talk about it a little bit and everybody can go ahead and pre-order or whatever they need to do because I'm sure they're going to want to get it by the time we talk about it today. And, you know, when someone reads my bio like that. I just say, you know, I'm exhausted just hearing about it. Uh, (laughs) It's like I'm doing the work all over again, just hearing it. Right. Yeah. So So true. Let's talk about leadership in today's current workplace environment. What are some things that are going on now that might be a little bit different from the way we've always thought about it before? Speed. We have to move fast. I can't tell you how many times I'm working with a leader, executive, even admirals and generals, and they're all wrestling with speed. And sometimes they get bad advice. Like one of my clients, their HR person told them because they move so fast, you have to slow down for your folks. And I said, you're getting, that's horrible advice. What you want to do is get everybody to speed up. So how do you do that so they're not making mistakes? That's the name of the game. We have to move very, very fast. In today's environment, there are too many things changing. And here's the other thing. We can't even really predict what's going to happen next month. You hear this three years, five years plan. And I get that, right? We all, myself included, want to think about the future. But we have to be able to move fast now and adjust. One of my favorite quotes by working with the U.S. military is, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. No plan survives first contact the enemy, meaning that we plan, but we have to plan for immediate adjustments. And so that's really critical, our ability to move fast and adjust. That reminds me of that quote from Mike Tyson. You know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, (laughs) which fits that thing that you just said there. It's like first contact with the enemy. Yeah. I mean, we've always known, I think, back to your bad advice that the speed of the leader determines the speed of the pack. Right. And so we don't want to slow the principle down. I'll give you another point of reflection on speed. So I've been at this for over 25 years and I've never seen the following case happen where a leader has made a decision about a personnel move. You know, somebody who's not performing well, there's some challenges and after coaching or whatever, I've never seen them make a move. And it may not be the person being fired. It may be adjustment, reassignment or whatever. I've never seen them make a personnel move move, and said, I should have given that person more time. Never, not one time. And in fact, not only that, but every single time, whenever they make that move, they discover more problems than they even realized. It was like turning over a rock. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, what's underneath? So I just want to give it, we all wrestle with speed, but we got to move fast in today's environment. Is the delaying on those decisions just a fear of being wrong? Or why are people procrastinating on those types of things? 
Well, there's a lot of fear, right? Fear of making the wrong decision. Also out of respect and care for people. We don't want to make a move when somebody move them out of their job when it could be their livelihood. Sure. We want to make the right move. But something else kind of interesting I've learned is it's really lonely at the top. And so it's like they don't want to make a wrong decision. But something else I've also realized as well, which is executives the higher up they go, the harder time they have with having challenging conversations. You would think, right? Because you build your career, you got to make moves, right? You got to have that tough conversation. So I used to think to myself, why is that the case? And then I realized the higher you go, the more pressure the decisions are, right? If you're making a decision at a lower level, those are important. But as you move up, it means a lot more money. It could mean a lot of people's livelihood. It could mean the wrong direction for the company. So the pressure is on. So as a whole, they will tend to often shy away from making a personnel move. They don't want to make the wrong move. And I can appreciate that. But again, just know that whenever we're trying to think about something, it's probably we need to be moving out on it pretty quickly. Yeah, that's great advice. One of the things you talk about a lot that I wanted to bring up today was things about excellent leaders that cause people to pull people into their circle, or it gives them gravity and it causes people to want to gravitate toward them. What are some of those things? Well, I developed this terminology a while back called a leadership gravitational pull. Awesome. And the idea is, if you think about it, you ever have somebody walk in a room and you actually feel attracted to them. You want to follow them. I don't mean physically attracted, but you want to really be next to them. And then as, have you ever had somebody walk in the room and you're like, you want to run for the exit. Right. You know? It repels <laughs> you, right? Yeah. <laughs> or the thing I love to say to people when doing sessions, have you ever had somebody walk towards you and you don't even know what they're going to say, but you think to yourself, no, right. No, no. Yeah. yeah. Cancel. <laughs> <laughs> But then other people walk towards us or they're calling us on the phone. And we start to smile. So I always say to people as a leader, when you're walking into a room or you're making that call, are people thinking yes, or are they thinking no? Uh, and so thinking and reflecting on that, why is it we're so attracted and want to have that gravitational pull, you know, towards that somebody and what, how do we develop it? Well, there's 10 traits actually, but three in particular, I want to just kind of hit home right here. Sure. One is being positive and passionate about the future, positive and passionate about the future. You probably might think that's obvious, but if you've been around somebody who's kind of doom and gloom right now, there's a lot of things we're all wrestling with, right? Inflation, economy, the Ukraine, really tough stuff. And we do have to have those key conversations and reflective also in our business. But the thing is, are we painting a bright future? Are we painting, oh, things are going to be challenging? It doesn't mean they aren't going to be challenging. It's like I coached a CEO and he said, I'm just being honest with people. I said, that's not the problem. The problem is you're not giving them hope. You're not giving them the overall, we're going to get through it. But in the end, we will be more successful than ever. So that's one trait. The second trait is- uh, Let wow. me just say this too, yeah. Stephen. It's causing me to think here. You know, I'm a big Twitter user and there are certain people that I follow on Twitter because they have a lot of expertise in particular things, right? So I'm interested in what they have to say. Yes. But lately I have turned the alert off because they've been so negative on stuff. And I'm just, I'm like, I don't want the little ding to go off when they have something to say, <laughs> you know, cause I don't want to hear it, you know, and I don't unfollow them. I'm interested, but lately they've gone through this stage where it's just, everything is doom and gloom and terrible. And I'm just like, all right, no, I, I don't want to be alerted to that. Right. 
It's so true. And when I've worked with people who are like that, their rationale is, well, I'm just being upfront. I'm just being honest. But as we all know, as leaders, the problem isn't when people give us constructive criticism. That's a good thing. It's when they don't come to get with us with solutions. They just dump the problem. Right. So right. when people say, oh, I'm, I may be known as a complainer, but I'm just calling it like I see it. I'll tell them, look, that's not the issue. The issue is that you're not offering any suggestions. But it is really important because even on the ding thing you just talked about, the book, the Unconditional Power, that will be out in a few months, it's all around how our mood impacts our success. Our mood impacts our success. And the way I like to say it is, have you ever noticed that when you're in a good mood, you're smarter? I hadn't, but that makes sense. <laughs> well, and so if we're in a down mood, that would impact things. So I really appreciate what you're saying, Tony, because we have to be understanding what can send us, trigger us in a down mood, because that could impact things. I work right. with salespeople and their mood, their confidence, their perspective is really important because if they're down, it's going to impact their interaction with the customer. And if they're up, it's going to impact their relationship with the customer and their success. So really our mood does impacting. So when people are thinking about this, I mean, maybe one good takeaway out of the show is pay attention to your dings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are the other two? Well, another one is calm confidence, calm confidence. All right. Have you ever been around somebody that when there's a problem and it may be a big problem, they freak out. They go, Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? We have this, we got this. They're all over the place. And if you've ever been around that person, as they get spun up, we tend to get spun up. And then there's other people, there's other types of leaders who, it, when you think about it, they're just calm confidence. There's a problem, a major problem. And they'll say, we have a problem. We have to get this fixed, but we'll figure it out. And they pay attention to their tone and tenor because how they come across is really important. In fact, somebody said to me years ago, and I always share this to people because it's, they don't often think about it. Tone is five times the impact of the words we say. Tone is actually five times the impact of the words we say. So how we say things has a lot to do with how people get spun up or not. One final example around this to bring it on home is for people or parents, they know when their child falls down, when there's, if they have a small child and the child falls down, they always look at the adult. And if the adult freaks out, right, they're going to freak out, right? Right, right. So that calm confidence is so critical. And people might say, well, what do I do? Because I, I kind of get freaked out. Well, here's the thing. Pay attention to your self-talk for us to pay attention to our self-talk. Our inside talk kind of matches our outside talk. If we're thinking to ourselves, oh my God, what am I going to do? I, 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 this economy and the inflation, whatever, that's going to impact our actions. So pay attention to our self-talk. And the other thing is about visualization in the future. That can really be helpful. I know you're not familiar with my work history, but before I became a coach about 20 years ago, I spent about 20 years as CEO of media organizations, broadcasting and things like that. And I remember we had one facility where we had a particular group of news people who I remember we had a helicopter crash one time in that particular community where we were serving it with that broadcast facility. And my gosh, the whole newsroom would just fly apart whenever something dramatic would happen. And I said, our slogan should be, when there's an emergency, we have one too. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're supposed to be the calm ones delivering the calm, but gee whiz. I love it. That's so great. And it is interesting because then if we are like acting like it's an emergency, it just spins up everyone else. Oh, it just increases the drama. 
that's not going to help people. Well, and why this is also so important is as a leader, we need to pay attention to our leaders around us. I work with so many teams, right. And all about high achieving teams and the leadership really makes a huge difference. It used to be when I started in the business, I would work a lot with mid-level managers and there's nothing wrong with that. But what I found is they can get it. But then if the leadership was not operating by the same behaviors we were going through, they were only somewhat limited by success. So then I realized over the years, the best investment dollars is with the leadership team and having them look at things. So they've got to remain calm and confident during challenging times, as well as the bumpy roads to success. Because even when we have great things happening, that can also create some challenges, but calm confidence. I love it. I love it. What's the last one? A third one, and there's many other, but the third one I wanted to focus in on because I think it's really so appropriate is confronts and resolves elephants, confronts and resolves elephants. In other words, have you ever been in a meeting and there's clearly something in the room and people need to make a decision and they won't? Like maybe it's a product launch, maybe it's pulling back, maybe it's whatever the case may be, or a couple of people in the room are just really difficult to deal with, but nobody will make that decision or we're not really working through that. And so what I have found is we tend to be very attracted to people, want to be around people who can make a decision, even if we disagree with the decision. Right. We tend to respect people. I remember I was brought in to work with the CIO and she was really excellent, except she was just challenged with making a decision. Interesting enough, I asked her why that was the case. And they had done a 360 assessment of her and they had given her bad advice. They told her you are too decisive. And so she swung the other way in being too consensus oriented. And I really fault the company because they didn't give her coaching along with the 360, but that's a side point. The idea of confronts and resolves elephants is really about making that decision. And the way I like to say this, silence rewards current behavior. Silence rewards current behavior. When we're silent, we're basically saying we agree, even if we don't it often can misconstrue as silence. I remember I was doing a session in Philadelphia and a gentleman came up to me and he said, you know, I can see the problem with my marriage. And I said, what do you mean? He said, my wife does things I don't like. And I've been silent about it because I don't want things to get worse. But now as I'm listening to you, what I'm realizing is she's asks me a lot of questions and peppers me with a lot of questions because she's really unsure about what I'm thinking. And it'd be much more upfront to say things. And then we talked about how to better deliver the message. But the idea is that our silence rewards current behavior. And we got to make that decision. The other thing I like to say about silence is never let your silence do the talking. Never let your silence do the talking because people make things up. When we're silent, they will add things to things. So that's why I say confronts and resolves elephants. So critical. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. And so there's 10 of these in your book, Unconditional Power, right? Well, it's in another publication. Yeah, and I don't mean I'm trying to hold people back. We are focusing on the three key ones. So, you know, you ever have somebody say, but there's seven others. And if you call me now, no, I think that's ridiculous. And in fact, if they want, because I know we wanted to talk about some other things, people can just send us an email and we'll send you the list of the other seven because I don't want you to think we're holding them back. Cool. The other cool thing that I noticed in that dialogue you were having there is that so many times people will receive a piece of feedback and go so far in the opposite direction with it that it's damaging. We got to find balance in things like that. Yeah, I'll give you an example. So I was hired by an organization and the assignment was to coach people who did not get the promotion. 
And you might say, well, why would they want to coach them? Because these people were still good performers and could be really excellent performers. And they didn't want them to leave the organization. Right. So the assignment was coach them. So they're better situated for the promotion. So what was fascinating is every single one to a T when I had the first conversation, they didn't really know why they didn't get the promotion. And so I coached them on finding out what the exact reason was so that I could coach them in a right way. And I've come to realize over the years that people are so hesitant often in giving constructive criticism because they're worried that something will go wrong. So something else I want to just say that folks, they can send us an email and I'll send them a book that I wrote on. Basically it's on the nine strategies on honest, effective communication, but it's how to better deliver it. But the key point is, is you got to be able to give the feedback to people and really work that out and not coming from fear and being able to work that out so that everybody benefits. Cause when you think about it, the times we grow in our life are the ones or times when people have given us tough feedback. They might've even hurt our feelings. We might've even gotten defensive in the moment, but when we thought, you know what? Okay. I got to share. Can I share with you a funny story? Sure. About this? Yeah, let's have it. So, this is years ago. I've done a lot of TV over the years, but years ago, I was the first time I was ever on MSNBC. So I was really nervous. I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And so I planned, of course, you know, this is going to be wrong when I tell you this. I had so many different talking points. I hadn't really thought there should be three or, I mean, I had a list. So I'm like trying to think about it in my head anyway. So I do the interview and I thought I did great. So I get back to the office and my assistant at the time, Christina, I said to her, so how'd I do? And I'm thinking, she's going to say, you were excellent. Uh, she looked at me and she said, do you really want to know the truth? Tony, I was horrible. Well, maybe in my not. mind, I thought it was good. <laughs> maybe I don't. <laughs> well, and she gave me excellent feedback and that catapulted me to the next level of really being able to do some interviews because she told me what like it needed to be told. And that's why it's so important to get a coach out there because they can see things and hear things that is just hard for us. You know, it's like when somebody says, I know my blind spots. Well, if I knew them, they can't that, be a blind spot. Anyways. That's, that's right. I was sitting in a meeting last week with one of the teams I coach. And so they were all giving this one team member some feedback. And she just sat back in her chair and said, how can I not see this? Mm. And I'm like, well, we all have those, right? And so when you're not, I call it the tennis match. When you're not in the tennis match and you're not batting the ball back and forth, you see all kinds of things when you're sitting in the where the judge sits, right, in the seat that's above the tennis match. And the players are going, that wasn't out, that was in. And the judge goes, oh, my gosh, it was out by a foot. So, <laughs> so, so you see a lot of things when you're not in it, for lack of a better term. It is, and it really begs the question, does every leader have a coach? I have people who coach me. It's like I'm always learning and always looking, yep. okay, where can I grow? And it's so important. But yet you meet people who are just, they don't surround themselves with people who can really give them honest, effective feedback. And it's really important. And you can always tell those people that have a hard time surrounding themselves by that because they're always telling you how much they know. You ever met one of those know-it-alls like oh, yeah. self-righteous self people who go, I know that won't work. I know that will. I know, I know, I know, I know. But if you ask them, those are people listening, ask a know-it-all this question. Say, are you open to being wrong? And of course, everybody says, yes. Say, okay, when was the last time you lost an argument? When was the last time you lost an argument? 
And they'll be like, ah, <laughs> they just can't think that way because they're not programmed to think that way. Well, <laughs> anyway. well, you're giving them something that you know that they didn't know just seconds before. Yes. And they will say, I know, immediately followed by, but, <laughs> right? And they're going to, and then they're going to rebut you. And you know, they didn't know that. It's just a defensive mechanism that kicks in. It's kind of interesting because even now as we're talking, I'm reflective over my career. And like, I'll give you another example where I just, again, school of hard knocks, you learn. It was many years ago, but I was doing a session on honest communication and it was a two hour session. I'll never forget. And in the middle of the session, some lady raised her hand. I said, yes. And she goes, I'm sorry, I'm really lost what you're doing. And then somebody else said, you know, I'm lost too. And, and suddenly everybody started saying they're lost. I was so bad that at midway through the two hour, people just got up and left. They did not wait for me to go to my flip chart at the time. They just left. And so again, what it taught me was about how to manage dynamics. And I really looked at my content and I realized I needed to substantially upgrade it and learn. And I look back at that and that again, another moment in time in which it helped catapult me to another level by really having something difficult. We all don't want those things to happen, but if they're going to happen, we have to take the gold. And I'll tell you what's interesting. I'll, I'll remember a couple of my speaker friends said, Oh, well, sometimes audiences are bad. And I knew to never blame other people because right, then right. you don't get the gold. And I said, no, it was me. And they said, right. but you know, we ball bombed before. I'm like, no. And I really took this on. So anyway, I know I'm going on, but I get so passionate no, about right. the subject of feedback. No, that's, that's right. And yes, there was something about me that did not adjust. That's what I yes. usually think is, boy, that didn't go as well as I wanted it to. Where did I miss it? Not where the audience miss it. Where did I miss it? It's interesting, too, because when I think about the best CEOs, admirals, and generals, and the best people I've worked with, whenever they're faced with a problem, they blame themselves first. Right. And the reason for that, as I've shared with audiences, it puts you in the driver's seat. Right. If I say, well, I got to take responsibility, but it is there, you know, they didn't do this or this, then we're not getting all the gold. So it may be a heavy thing to say our fault, maybe our responsibility or whatever, but it is fascinating that the most successful people I've ever worked with, whenever they're faced with a problem, they blame themselves first and it puts them on the driver's seat to success. Let's talk a little bit about teams. We've been talking about individuals. Let's talk a little bit about teams. And as you and I talked before we went on today, it's challenging. And I think it's why I love the work so much is because I've got to challenge myself to adjust and figure out how do I bring this team together? How do I get this team to gel? Share with everybody a little of your thoughts on how to put together a good team. So I do a lot of work, obviously, with these teams and high achieving teams. And I developed this acronym a while back called consistently high achieving teams, consistently high achieving teams and call it a chat. And the reason why I don't call it high performing anymore is because the word performing could be confused with hard work. And it really is about achievement. But the other thing is, how do we consistently have high achievement. It's really about doing it consistently. And so what I developed is there's these 12 essential elements of a consistently high achieving team. So we can jump in as many as you want, but just to consider the first one is to know your North star, your PGS stands for purpose, goals, and strategy. And what I've come to realize is high achieving teams, consistently high achieving teams, 
know exactly why they exist and where they're going. Now, this may sound simple, right? Okay, well, I kind of got that. But how often have we walked out of a meeting and not even known what the purpose of the meeting was? And how about this? A leadership team meeting that spends the majority of their time debriefing to each other what they're up to rather than spending the majority of the time taking advantage of the team and having that healthy debate. And I often ask my clients when they think, oh, we know this PGS, North Star, I say, okay, why don't you, let's, in the session, we're going to ask. And they always get disheartened because when we ask and we throw it out, you get all these different versions. People aren't crystal clear. And I always say, if we're not crystal clear at the top level, how is everybody else going to be clear? Right. So the high achieving consistently is really about knowing your North Star. And another one is just getting the unsaid said, which I can get into too. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, something else, you know, if everybody forgot what we've covered, hopefully they won't, but if they did, and they need to remember one thing, the absolute biggest difference, at least I've found, is with any team, and a team can be two or more people, the biggest problem is not what people say, it's what they're not saying to each other. It's just what they leave out. I mean, how often have you thought... If they had just told me, I could have done something about it. Right. We could have made a better decision. Or maybe you lose a customer and you found out the real reason why. And you thought, I could have done something about it. Or you didn't win a great uh, customer and somebody else, a competitor won, who's not as high up as we are, not our high standards, but because they did a better job of just developing the relationship and explaining things. And we didn't even realize that the customer, potential customer was interested in something else. We didn't discover that getting the unsaid said, we lose a great employee and find the real reason why they walked out the door. The biggest problem isn't really what we say to each other. It's actually what we don't say. And the idea is to get that unsaid said. That's awesome. We've been talking with Stephen Gaffney. His new book is called unconditional power. It's due out here real soon, probably in the next six to eight weeks at least. And I'm looking forward to getting it. And this has been fantastic for me, Stephen. I've loved every minute of this. I've got 12 rapid fire questions that I ask every guest that comes on the show. Would you be okay if I shot these past you real quick? Absolutely. All right. Here's the first one. What's the best memory that comes to mind for you? The best memory growing up and the challenge of, so I was bullied growing up. And you might say, was that the best memory? Well, it's the memory that really helped shape who I am. I often say to people, great question to ask people is what are the three events that help shape who your life, you know, about your life. But anyway, that memory, and of course, other memories about my great parents and whatnot, but really that connection and realizing how important it is to be with other people. Who's the number one hero in your life? Gosh, number one hero. Well, my grandfather, and he subsequently passed away in 1999. And yeah, my father would be in a second one. Yeah, then I can go into it. What's the top value you subscribe to? Honesty. And that's why I've written all these books about it. Who's the most important person in your life? My parents. Yeah, 100%. What's your favorite thing in the whole wide world? (laughs) Well... There's a lot of favorites. I'm thinking immediately, though, I thought of chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> well, that ties into the, that ties into the next one. What's your favorite food? Yeah, it is chocolate, but I also love burgers. And I will confess, McDonald's Big Mac. I They're could eat. Awesome. I could eat a, a burger every day, every, <laughs> every day. What's the most beautiful place you've ever been to? Venice, because that's where my mom's family is from. Fantastic. If you could describe success in one word, what would the word be? Happiness and love. So I guess two words. How do you want to be remembered? 
making a difference in people's lives. If you could go back and talk to a very young Stephen, what advice would you give him? Give yourself a break and life has challenges, but you're going to benefit from the challenges if you always look for the gold. That's really good. What's your favorite sound? Hmm. My favorite sound. Oh, when somebody says, I love you. And out of all the lessons you've learned in your life, what's the best lesson? Persistence. Just do not give up. Stephen Gaffney, leading expert on increasing business profit through change management, honest communication, and high-performing teams. How do people find out more about you, Stephen? Where can they go? Well, the easiest way is to go to our website, justbehonest.com, justbehonest.com. And if they send us that email, they can contact us. We'll send them those other traits that are gravitational pull. And also even the high-achieving teams one that I talked about. Yeah, sure. Okay, so great. Just, justbehonest.com. That's fantastic. Steven, thank you for coming by. I really appreciate you taking time to do this. And I've enjoyed getting to know you. I hope you'll come back sometime. I'd love to. And Steve, thank you. You bet, man. Steven Gaffney, everybody. Stand by. I'll have more on Better Than Before coming up next. There's nothing quite like the love of a good dog. At University Subaru, it seems to us they're all good. See special pet-friendly features in the new 2021 Subaru Outback and Forester. It's never been easier to hit the open road with your best friend and to keep them safe with Subaru all-wheel drive. Subaru is dog-tested and dog-approved. Love, it's what makes a Subaru a Subaru and a dog a dog. University Subaru, Columbia, homegrown and proud of it. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. This is Tony Richards, and I've got three big ideas to share with you from my vault of wisdom. And hopefully these will help you. You can journal them out. You can take what I've got, make notes on it, and hopefully it'll help you and you'll have a better week because of it. Big idea number one, at every rising level of growth and developing organizations, new, more efficient levels of communication are required. Why is this? Because if it's a growing, developing organization, it means you're hiring people. It means you're bringing more human beings on board, which is going to raise the level of complexity. I've seen research in the past, and it continues to go up, maybe because of generational differences. I'm not sure of all the reasons, but it adds about 25% more complexity every time you add one human being to your organization. Also, what happens is departments are growing, initiatives are being started, new things are being tried, all kinds of things are going on in a growing, developing organization. So you've got to continually make sure your communication is also growing and developing and is effective and efficient along with it. Big idea number two, one of the biggest mistakes I see entrepreneurs making is assuming their employees are just like them. And this can happen in a couple of ways. First way is they may be wired like you, 
they may have similar behaviors and similar motivations, or they might not. They might be totally, completely wired different than you. And in smaller companies, it's of more benefit to the leader to have people who are different rather than people who are the same. Because after all, you're knee deep in the company and in the business, and you're doing a lot of stuff. You don't necessarily need another you. You need someone to hedge and mitigate some of the things that you don't do well. And that would typically be someone who's just a couple of shades different or maybe completely opposite of you. Let's say you're really extroverted and you're a go-getter and like to go at high speed. Maybe you need an introverted, more analytical process-driven person to offset and mitigate some of the things that maybe you're not so good at. And you might be doing the work of two or three people. You might need two or three people to offset you. So that's one way. Another way is entrepreneurs constantly say this. And I just don't think they know what they're saying. They're not really stopping and logically analyzing what's coming out of their mouth. But they say, I just don't think the employees care as much about this company as I do. And of course they don't. They don't have loans at the bank. They don't have their house on the line. They don't have their cars on the line. They don't have their kids' futures on the line. You do. So obviously you're way more interested, way more bought in, have much more at risk than they do. They do not have ownership in the company and you do. Sometimes you can develop them into buying in and taking ownership in a figurative sense, but you have to understand they are there doing a job. You're not there doing a job. You're there running your baby, trying to make your dreams come true. They are there to basically, first and foremost, get a paycheck from you for doing certain things. And then as they stay longer and they're there for a while and they begin to really attach themselves to your company, then you might get some buy-in and some ownership. But at the very beginning, the first year or two, no way, man. They're just there to get a check. Big idea number three, the pain associated with leadership development is the strain of pushing yourself to learn new things and change what is comfortable today into what will be effective tomorrow. The status quo is comfortable. It feels good. Your comfort zone is exactly that. It's comfortable, just like an old pair of shoes. You know, you don't want to go out and get a new pair of shoes. You want to break them in. Go out and get a brand new baseball glove and break it in. That's not the best. You'd rather just slip that old baseball glove on that's all loose and broken in and feels comfortable and good, except that the ball is going through the glove because it's got a big hole in the webbing. We like comfort zones. We like status quo. They just aren't going to be what we need for tomorrow because the world is changing and your company is changing. You don't have to change, but it's going to change regardless. And the bigger the gap gets between what's the world is changing to and what your company needs to change to and what you're willing to change to is going to be a problem for you in the future. So the pain associated with leadership development is that strain of pushing yourself to learn new things and change what is comfortable today into what will be more effective tomorrow. Those are my three big ideas, and that's our Better Than Before show today. Hope you enjoyed my talk with Stephen Gaffney and our three big ideas. Better Than Before is sponsored by University Subaru.
University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. You can follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards Four, and you can come over on Facebook and join my free Facebook page, Tony Richards Speaker, Author, Coach. Twitter has eight to 10 new posts every day. Facebook has four to five new posts every day. So a lot of value there for paying absolutely nothing. All you got to do is smash two buttons. Special thanks as always to our producer, Tessa Hall, who puts our show together. And until we visit again next week, I'm your master coach, Tony Richards, reminding you that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.